Usually on a basketball podcast, when you're talking about Nuggets and Clippers and Knicks, you're talking about basketball. But I'm here with a special message from her friends at Manscaped. Manscaped's here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool or clippers for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks will be reduced, thus protecting your nuggets. They actually just released a Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect addition. Shears 2.0 has a tempered stainless steel toolkit with slash tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file, the perfect grit. It's the Dante DiVincenzo of nail file grit. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with that new and improved lawnmower, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs that actually perform. Playoff performance boxer briefs is what we should start calling them. And it also has a travel bag so that you can throw all that stuff in your bag when we're able to travel again. It also comes with the Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant. Fellas, you got to deodorize your balls, please. It's sticky out there. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts, and it is refreshing. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level, guys. Welcome to the Rainbow Skyline podcast on The Athletics. Nice pass, Yoke! That's a joker. That's in my house. And I told him, listen, if you see me around Denver, Colorado, anywhere, it's all about the Nuggets right now. Rainbow. The Rainbow. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Rainbow Skyline podcast. I'm Dave DeFore, here as I am every week with Kendra Andrews. Kendra, uh, needless to say, the Clippers are a better basketball team than the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> That's not news. It's not news. We all knew that, right? We did. This isn't news. We all should have expected them to be down 3-1, I think. The Clippers are are a good head above where the Nuggets are. I don't think that that's even a controversial statement. No, I agree with um, you. But I think the my biggest takeaway from the first four games of this series, and we're recording this on Thursday, uh, game five is going to be Friday, but my, my big takeaway is there have been moments where the Nuggets can play with the Clippers, but it seems like those moments coincide with the Clippers taking their feet or their foot off the gas. I mean, hopefully they're, they're only driving with one foot on the gas. <laughs> Um, I mean, if they did drive with two feet on the gas, maybe the series would already be over. So there's something to that. But but I do think like the Nuggets are talented and they play really, really well in, in short stretches. But being able to keep it together for a full game has been tough because when the Clippers turn up that intensity, it just seems like they struggle to keep up. Completely. I mean, if you look at the one game the Nuggets have won in this series, game two, it was when the Clippers had no feet on the gas. They had two feet on the brakes, probably. And in game three, which is the game where the Nuggets, that was, you know, the one that got away from them. They had that win in their in their hands and they let it slip exactly then when the Clippers made those runs. They made these spurts where their defense all of a sudden shut the Nuggets down and they continued to hit shots. In game four, the Clippers, it was almost 
like opposite of game three, where the Clippers were, were going, were cruising every once in a while, they'd kind of slow down. The Nuggets would make their run and the Clippers would say, Oh crap, put it back on, keep going. Then the Nuggets kind of made another run. They said, you know, Oh crap, we got to keep it going. But anytime the Nuggets, as you said, have kind of been a threat to the Clippers so far this series, it is when the Clippers have not been playing 100%. The Clippers have not played 100% for an entire game, but I think game four was a really good example, was as close as we've gotten so far to see what this series is really like. You know, the Clippers played really well for, you know, 90% of the game. The Nuggets played... Decent. They were playing. They were, they were playing. out there playing. They were playing. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't game one where they were absolutely right. destroyed. They were playing, but when the Clippers put their mind to it, the Nuggets just have no answers for them on either end of the floor. Well, and you know, this is the funny thing is actually, I think Denver did an okay job in game four defensively. I mean, they, they held did. them to a, a, a 106 offensive rating, and that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue is that the Clippers' defense just bothered them so much. I mean, a ninety-three point nine offensive rating would be, uh, you know, historically low uh, for for this era. But there, the the thing is, the way that the Clippers are doing it, they are not taking away Jokic. Like they they basically surrendered that matchup and said, well, Jokic is going to do what he does. But what they're doing is they're taking away assist opportunities for Jokic by really just, I mean. Jeremy Grant cannot buy a shot right now, and that's their defense. Uh, Jamal Murray struggled. I mean, he wound up with 18 points, but struggled in this game because not only are they hounding him when he's on the ball, they are shadowing him off the ball. I mean, he just can't get open. Gary Harris, we, uh, we've we talked a lot about him and his offensive struggles. Torrey Craig, they're not guarding him. They're not guarding Paul Millsap. And at this point, you just have to say, why would you guard Paul Millsap? Exactly. I mean, they're they're daring every, all of those guys that you just listed. They're daring them to shoot, and they're doing it because they're not hitting shots. And I wrote about this after Game Four, but you know the the Nuggets need a guy to step up other than Nikola Jokic, but no one's doing it, and the Clippers aren't letting any of them do it. It's it's not all on, like part of it is definitely on the Nuggets and they're doing it to themselves. And another part is there's only so much that they can do against this Clippers defense. You know, it's really interesting because you look back to the first round against the Jazz and it was the, the Nuggets defense that was getting them in trouble. They could score all they wanted, but their defense could not do enough for them. And now it's the complete opposite where their defense is doing pretty well, especially against the type of players that the Clippers have, but it's their offense that is just, you know, they, they need, they're they're not hitting open shots. They're, they're missing shots that they should be taking. They probably could have, I don't know if they would have won last night, but at least made it more competitive down the stretch. If they were just hitting those open shots. Those are things, Dave, we've talked about it. Jeremy Grant is a guy who needs to hit his open shots because they're going to leave him open. They're going to leave Torrey Craig open. They're going to leave Paul Millsap open. And they're not taking advantage of the fact that they're daring them to shoot those. Yeah. I mean, Gary Harris and Jeremy Grant were two of 10 from three. And then off the bench, you know, outside of Michael Porter Jr., you're just getting nothing offensively. And again, the Clippers' defense is doing a really good job on these guys. But as you just pointed out, they're not hitting the open looks, and, and that's going to kill you. 
And, and on the other side, again, the defense has not been the issue for the Nuggets in this series. Kawhi Leonard has looked as human as he's ever looked. Now, he, he wound up with 30 points in this game and was very aggressive at the, at the start. But part of that is he went to the free throw line eight times. You know, he had a, a fine shooting game, 10 of 22. But in this series, he hasn't really shot the ball that well. So they're doing a good job there. It's you know, and they and they took Paul George out of this game, mm-hmm. getting him in foul trouble, right? Like so, you know, they are doing some good things uh, uh, on offense, getting him in foul trouble. You know, I mean, Pat Beverly wound up with four fouls. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're doing that stuff, but they're not capitalizing on the open three point looks. And and to be honest with you, twenty seven three point attempts just isn't going to cut it for them. You know, they need more possessions. The pace is you know, it's ninety and a half possessions pace. That's just not going to get it done for this team. They really need to start pushing uh, the ball up a little bit more and, and maybe getting more early shot clock attempts because, you know, as we saw last night, they get the ball zipping around sometimes a little bit too much and that just inspires the Clippers to play harder on defense. You know, I, I think trying to catch them in the first eight or so seconds of the shot clock would be a smarter strategy than passing the ball around trying to bend that defense. They're just too good. Yeah. I mean, they have to, the Nuggets have to find a, a fine balance in between those things because, as you just said, you know, they, they do get into trouble when they move the ball too much. But the Nuggets also get into a lot of trouble when they don't move the ball at all. That's what also when their offense, and that is more of when they do it to themselves. It's not necessarily the Clippers' defense that's affecting this, but they just, they can't play, and Malone has talked about this. They can't play one on one. They can't play ISO against, you know, Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George and these guys and Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harold. Like, you can't play one on one ISO against these guys. And when the Nuggets do that, they come up with a missed shot. The Clippers get a steal, whatever it is. So they have to find a, that fine balance between you need to get some more touches and you need to get more people involved in these plays. But don't be swinging the ball around the court like these Clippers aren't going to catch it in midair and then right. go for a fast break point because they will do that. And the other thing is, you know, the Clippers are, uh, you know, one way you can attack them is inside. Mm-hmm. And 22 paint points in game four is just not going to get it done. I mean, the, the Clippers had 38. So you're getting outscored in the paint against a team that you, you know, you've got the mismatch. And we talked about this when we kind of previewed this series. Jokic has such an advantage over anyone they can guard him with. I mean, every single person on that team, unless they're going to stick Kawhi Leonard on him, mm-hmm. in, in which case it's, you know, maybe Kawhi does a, does a good job. I don't know. I mean, Jokic is a lot stronger than he looks. And I just don't understand why we're not getting more of that. And then running your offense sort of inside out versus having Jokic up so much around the wing and the elbow and then, you know, doing the handoff stuff. Like it's, it's playoff basketball and it's time to, you know, you, you love the cute stuff because the cute stuff got you here. And Jokic is so much fun to watch. I mean, probably the most fun player in the league for me to watch just because of the way he plays and how unorthodox the passing is. Mm -hmm. But there is, you know, the playoff reality is what wins games in the playoffs isn't necessarily right. what got them to there. Yeah. You need in this in this moment the Nuggets need their center to be the center and not the point center. They need their point guards to be the floor generals and run the floor and set up the plays. And they need Jokic to execute what it is instead of him running the running the plays for them. We're gonna take a real quick break and be back with the rest of the show. Now is the time to celebrate, everybody. That's right, football is back. 
to kick off football's 101st season, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that if the Kansas City team were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread of Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That is a complete no-brainer. Plus, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survival pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter the survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code RAINBOW to take advantage of this no-brainer offer. That's promo code RAINBOW to get in on all of the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash workbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Well, we mentioned Michael Porter Jr. being the only guy giving them a lift Mm -hmm. off the bench. And I thought he was really, really great in this game when he was involved. And, And to be frank, 15 points from him, and it all happened before the end of the third quarter. And then he basically doesn't get to touch the ball again. You know, I think he had three offensive touches after the midway point of the third quarter. And I'm sorry, when you just cannot score, you need to give the ball to this kid. Like, I I know he's 20, and I know that there are probably people on the team that aren't necessarily happy, but he's producing. And and as a matter of fact, you know, uh, shout out to our our buddy Adam Mares, who just sent me this. Now, I don't put a lot on individual net rating. Right, I, you basically you can't trust it. But so far in the playoffs, I think that this is, is this matches the eye test a little bit for me. Thus far in the playoffs, the only player for the Nuggets that has a positive net rating is Michael Porter Jr. Seems like you probably want to play that guy and keep him involved. I mean, I, like you, you just said. I don't know how much I can add to what you just said because you, that is exactly yeah. it. Like we we talked about. Like three, five minutes ago, we talked about how Jamal Murray is not, he's, the, the Clippers have taken Jamal Murray out of the and conversation. And it's not his fault. And it's, it's not, not that he's fault. playing poorly. No, right. but it's like, okay, you need, and again, I wrote about this the other night, you're now down 3-1. You need a guy to step up and be the Jamal Murray that, of last series, right? You need a guy to start digging this team out of the hole. Well, it's not Jamal Murray because he's been taken out of this game, this series. It's not going to be Jeremy Grant. It's not going to be Gary Harris. It's not going to be any of those guys. It's going to it, it. It's Michael Porter Jr. At least that's what it seemed like last game. He was the spark, and I think he can continue to be that spark at least you know on offensively on the court to get these guys, you know, are they going to come back? We'll talk about that in a little bit, but at least give them a chance and give them something different. Well, Michael Porter Jr. agrees with us. Uh, Here's (laughs) what he had to say about that. I mean, that's really up to the play calls. It's really up to the coaches who they want to put the, put the ball in whose hand. Um, We kept going uh, to yoke and maw. um, And that's, you know, I think that's, they're they're two amazing players. You can never get mad at that, but I just think, uh, 
to beat that team, we got to get more players involved. We got to move the ball a little bit better. Um, we can't be predictable against that team. Mike, are you at a place – I know it's your rookie year, but are you in a place where you can voice that that concern and that thought to Malone, or do you just kind of just let him uh, dictate? If I'm going to be out there on the floor playing a lot of minutes, I think I should voice that. So I'll probably talk, I'll probably talk to the coaches, you know, just tell them what I see being out there on the floor, just letting them know, look, like, we, they know what we're doing. Like, we got to swing the ball. There's, we got a lot of players who can play basketball and score, so – we got to get some more guys involved. Okay. So as is, you know, the usual case when something like this happens in front of a camera, um, the internet has made a big deal out of this. And I'm not here to say that it's not a big deal because there, there are issues with the way he did it. I have no problem with anything he said. I just think, you know, don't say it in front of the camera, but I want to focus on what he said because I think this is a good problem to have. Um, I've coached basketball for the last decade, and I have coached players who are ball hogs, and I have coached players who are who are actually better than they think they are, and I've coached players that are scared to get the ball in moments that matter. Well, Michael Porter Jr. clearly isn't that, and I think that that's a good problem to have. Now, Mike Malone and the locker room need to – kind of handle this internally and, and take care of it. But I don't think Michael Porter Jr. is wrong at all. I don't think he's wrong at all. And if you look at, you know, I think he's right in a couple different aspects of what, what he said. One about they about predictability. They can't be predictable and they have then the Clippers have completely figured out what their offense is. And it is to go to Jokic or try and get Jamal Murray involved they know that and they're, you know, we like we've said a bunch of times, okay, they're going to let Jokic do Jokic because they're not going to win that matchup and they don't want to get guys in foul trouble trying to defend him. But Jamal Murray is an easy one to take out. Yet the Nuggets are still going to him. And it's not to say that they shouldn't go to him, but Porter's completely right in the fact that, okay, well, we need to throw something different to them. And if Michael Porter Jr. is the one with the hot hand, well, then they should be giving it to him. They should be calling plays for him. They should be trying to throw a new wrinkle at the Clippers to say, hey, you guys may have, you know, got your game plan on these two guys, but now you have to figure out what to do with this third guy, with this other guy. I also think, and I guess you were kind of touching on it before of, wanting it's good to have a player who wants the ball in these moments and I completely agree I mean Michael Malone practically said the same thing about Jamal Murray in last series saying that he hunts down these opportunities he seeks out these opportunities I think Michael Porter's cut from that same cloth but I also you know it's when it comes to Michael Porter saying this I think a lot of people are rubbed the wrong way because he he is a player who I think coming into this league, people thought he was a little bit of an, he thought he was a know-it-all or he was the creme de la creme and stuff. And so I think that that rubs people the wrong way. But at the same time, he has, he was not handed anything this season. He, you know, Michael Malone made him work for everything. So I think he has been humbled this season and he is not the same guy, the kid with the same outlook on everything as he was when he entered. So with him saying, well, they need to give me the ball. I don't necessarily him saying, well, I'm better than these guys. And, you know, everyone's messing up by not giving me the ball. It's an Mm -hmm. actual analysis of 
We need to show them something different. I was the one who was hitting things. They should give the person with the hot hand the ball. Well, he also didn't say, give me the ball. Right. Right. He said, share the ball. And Mm -hmm. I know like, yes, he was, he was actually being very political in doing that, (laughs) but you're right. Like he earned the opportunity. He has shown up. I, I, for me, I have no problem at all. I think he was right. The only thing he was wrong about was saying it in in front of the camera Mm -hmm. and and that's it. And, And, you know, this is, again, that's rookie move, right? Like he will learn from this and move on. But, you know, you, you talked about the attitude thing about him coming in, you know, like he didn't drop in the draft just because of the medical. There right. were other issues as well. Um, the medical just exacerbates that. Uh, with that being said, give me a guy who wants to to go out and play on the brightest stage, you know, the, under the brightest lights on the biggest stage and wants the freaking basketball that like you cannot teach that you can't inspire a guy who is scared of the moment to want the ball. You just cannot do it. I mean, you know, this reminds me and I'm not comparing them as players, but it reminds me of young Kobe and young Kobe kind of had this, this attitude. Uh, at least, uh, people thought he had this attitude and it was all about those veterans getting him in check. But guess what? They never did. And it worked out pretty well for Kobe Bryant. So I'm not saying that Michael Porter needs to change anything about his approach. I would love if he defended better, but you know, baby steps, uh, (laughs) for now though, he is dead on dead, right? Mike Malone, If I was Mike Malone, I'd be starting him over Paul Millsap because right now Paul Millsap isn't giving you anything. And maybe Millsap can give you a little bit more coming off the bench and playing against some of these second units for the Clippers. But Michael Porter has been one of your better players in the the entire bubble. Mm -hmm. And in particular in the playoffs, he's been a reliable scorer. And at, at the worst, it's another weapon on the court that the Clippers have to think about because they know they cannot leave him open like they do with Paul Millsap. So I, kudos to, to Michael Porter for being correct, uh, but don't do it in front of the camera <laughs> next time. That's it. All right. So uh, as we get ready to wrap up, let's look ahead at game five because, you know, this is winner go home for the Nuggets. Um, it, it's obviously, you know, they've been here before. Just a week ago. Two weeks ago. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, down 3-1, so we can't count them out. We know that they can do it. Um, clearly, the Clippers are a better team than Utah. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are the two best players in this series. Uh, although Jokic is definitely making a case for himself. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. He's holding his own. Um, how do you see this game going for them? You know, I, I don't. I actually think they're going to win. I think they are going to win. because, But it's because the Clippers... Uh, just will not take it seriously. That, I do not expect them to. That that could be that. I think is the only way I see the Nuggets winning this game because I think the Clippers could either not take it seriously or it's a let's not drag this out longer than we need to drag it out and let's just kind of put the nail in the coffin type of approach from the Clippers. I I you know I don't I don't think they might win Game Five. Um, I don't think they're going to come back from a 3-1 deficit as they did against the Jazz because, like you said, Dave, this is just a much better team. The issue with the Nuggets in the first series, the reason why they got in that hole, games 
two and three, I think it was, maybe it was three and four, but the Nuggets in, in the first series, that is, the Nuggets had no energy. They had, they, they looked like they didn't care. They didn't want to be here. And that was what they had to kind of remedy for themselves to make that push. That's not the case in this series. They, they have been fighting except for that game one, which chalk it up to exhaustion and stuff like that. But they haven't rolled over like they did in that first series. It's actually execution that they need to figure out. And I don't, I, I mean, I can't say if that's an easier or harder hurdle to get over, but I, it's not, it's not all of them. They have things that they need to figure out that the Clippers are doing to them that is preventing them from winning games, which I don't think was the case in against the, the Jazz. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be a tougher task. I have this series being over in six ga- or five games, excuse me. So if I'm sticking to my prediction, I say that the Clippers are going to win next game. And I still, I still do feel like they could. Cause like, as you said, I think it's going to be one of two mindsets. They're either not going to take it seriously or it's going to be like, we don't want to mess around. We want to finish this as quickly as we can. Let's just do yeah. it right now. I never stick with predictions just for the record. <laughs> I, I listen, I, you know, I get new information and I will alter my thinking. That's and fair. this is, this is how I, I felt. This was a five game series, but I've just watched the Clippers effort wax and wane. That's true. And I've just, I've seen it come and go and, and it just feels like a letdown game for the Clippers. But again, I do think that the Nuggets are dangerous. Like they, they have enough talent that they can play with anyone. Even though the Clippers are clearly a better team, I do think that if you throw away game one, the Nuggets have mostly been in this in this series. Even I mean, they were getting stomped to start game four, and it says a lot mm-hmm. that knowing that they don't have the talent that the Clippers do, that they were able to come back and get that game tied early in the third. I thought that that was a really big, you know, and I'm not into moral victories, but that's a moral victory. And they hung with them. They just could not score. And so, you know, regression to the mean tells me they are going to shoot better at some point, and hopefully it's game five. I think that if it can coincide with a lack of effort from the Clippers, a lack of focus from the Clippers, that the the Nuggets could win, and they could win big. Like They could win by 25 and maybe be able to sneak some rest mm-hmm. ahead of game six. It wouldn't shock me completely if they wound up turning this into a seven-game series, just knowing how these guys have played with their back against the wall. I mean, Jamal Murray is probably going to have a huge game. It's just what he does. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they just need to, going forward, find a way to get these these back-to-the-wall performances before their backs are to the wall. But that's what young teams do, right? Like, this is still very early. I mean, (laughs) these guys are like, you know, 23 to 25 years old, (laughs) you know. I I might go a little bit too hard on them at times, but they are young and and they have so much talent. It's just about overcoming the Clippers. So uh, I think the Nuggets are going to win. I think we're going to get a game six. It'd be fun. Yep. Well, we will be back next week. Hopefully we're talking about the Nuggets and their Western Conference <laughs> Finals matchup against the Lakers or Rockets. Uh, but if not, we'll we'll have a nice recap of the playoffs <laughs> so far. For Kendra Andrews, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been the Rainbow Skyline Podcast.